HavanaDeprived.com is proud to present Top 8 Magic Podcast with Michael J. Flores and Brian David Marshall. Brought to your ears thanks to FaceToFaceGames.com. Okay, I think we're recording. Awesome. Do I sound like I'm in a tin can? Because unless I, if I don't, that probably means we're not recording. Oh no, I actually you sound great, which is uh, it's troubling to me. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm running very good today. Oh yeah. Yeah. I so I woke up this morning. I'm kind of like in a caffeine haze, and my lovely wife has put a mug of coffee out by the side of my on my nightstand for me to like wake up to, and. You know, before I drink it, I sort of reach over to check Twitter because my phone is buzzing and something's happening, and my phone's plugged in, and I basically cut the legs out from under my coffee mug, and coffee goes spilling everywhere. Box of Modern Masters, so big stack of original artwork, and my iPad, and somehow nothing got wet. Like the the the, the coffee kind of like ran between them. And now the sound is really good on this Skype cast, which is disturbing. Uh, if that had been my life, it would have been like, I see you spilled the coffee that I made you. There's gratitude. <laughs> um, that, that, that's what would have happened if it were my life. Yeah. I'm, I'm kind of running interesting now. Not really running bad or anything, but running interesting. I, I'll, get it, I'll, I'll get into it a little bit later in the cast, maybe, uh, when... We have to uh, have a moment of levity, a rare moment of levity on the, the Top 8 Magic podcast. Are you saying we're not funny? Are you saying we're not like clowns? Like we don't amuse you? I'm saying, well, A, uh, I don't think we have like double-sized shoes and red noses or anything. Except when we drink. Yeah. Um, but no, I, I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying that we lack the ability to hover above the earth. Uh, <laughs> as if, uh, you know, Tensor's floating disc were, were beneath us. So, did you, uh, by the way, we didn't introduce ourselves, uh, Brian David Marshall, Michael J. Flores, Top 8 Magic, I get a little twitchy if I don't do that at some point. Uh, did you, you, were, you talked last week, I, I did an interview with uh, Raph Levy in my column uh, about his World Magic Championship win, World Magic Cup, and he was talking to me, sort of as we were preparing for the, the interview, and a little bit in the interview, about how you know, Green has been really good to him over the years, right? You know, the first time probably you heard of Raph Levy as well as me was when he played Legion Land Loss at Grand Prix Lyon and won the event with it. I, I What year was that? I, I remember Levy from, um, you know, he was like uh, the foil of Finkel back in the day. Like, John Finkel might have three losses in an entire weekend of Magic playing, and, and two of those three losses would be to Levy. Um uh, that that like he had this reputation in the late '90s as being the Finkel foil, and then, you know, obviously also when he played that uh, that deck in Bob's Chicago, with, which had Whip Flare as its removal card, and I think their Sliver Queen it was a very unusual deck. Yeah, this was when Leon was like '98, so I mean it's right about the same time. Yeah, it's right about when he started, you know, becoming a fixture on on the Pro Tour. You know, when he was all of, you know, 15 or 16 at the time. But, you know, Levy's, Levy's green decks can have cards as disparate as, you know, Gaia's Might uh, and Sliver Queen uh, and, and so on that, that while technically green, are, 
are dependent on or, or have other elements. He, he's played he's played a handful of, of mono green decks though, like Legion Land Loss and like this Rancor deck most recently, and, and like his Eldrazi deck. I think in San Juan or one of the you know an event somewhere around there. I forget the exact, but yeah, he's he's played three or four. He, I mean, he likes mono. He likes five color green. He like he said what he really likes are birds and elves. He really likes to play eight he, mana creatures. He really likes birds and elves. You know, I I had a year on the Pro Tour where I played against Levy multiple times, and uh, and I'm like, you always play green black, or I can't remember if it was green black or green blue. But he's like, because he played like first turn Bird of Paradise against me like five different occasions one year, yeah. and he's like, would you always play black white? And you know, if you were gonna. <laughs> If you're going to take a cross-section of my, of my play that year, 100% of the times I played against Raph Levy, I had a black-white deck in front of me. So. Yeah, you know, you may actually be deflecting from Will Pop about life gain. You know, we talk a lot about how Will likes a black-white deck with life gain in it. But you really might be burying the lead here. I mean, <laughs> I have cast... really like a black-white deck. I have cast a lot of Pulse of the Fields. I have cycled <laughs> a lot of Renewed Faith. I have never hidden the fact... That I've cycled a renewed faith. At a pro tour. <laughs> In an extended pro tour. Cycled a renewed faith. Where you could have played a psychotog. And killed in excess of 50% of my opponents. Yeah. That's really the embarrassing part, I think. I mean, I once kept this hand that was all cycling cards and lands because my opponent was American. So I saw like the, the name on the... Uh, you on, the, you on the listing, his name up, and it's like, I didn't recognize the name. It's like Country USA, so I'm playing for day two. And my opponent's American, so I, I don't know if it, my hand's going to be good or not. It has no actual action or interaction. It just has, like, lands and cycling cards. And I'm like, nah, he's American. Keep. And <laughs> it's funny. 2013 readers, uh, readers, listeners are not going to understand this, are they? Americans were horrible back then. Yeah, there, there were, I mean, there, well... You know, a lot of you know, a lot of magic players were getting, uh, you know, leaving the game to sort of pursue. Uh, you know, the, like a whole crop of players had sort of matured. Yeah, and were, were getting jobs. And before they'd come back, because these same guys had all come back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, and there just wasn't that you know, you know, the the players who were coming up through the PTQ system just weren't, I guess, maybe of the same caliber that you were seeing coming out of. Japan and France was one of the nations at that point. So I would say at the time, um, the French-speaking world and the Japanese-speaking world were light years ahead of Americans. And the Netherlands. And of course the Netherlands. I mean, far be, you know, Camille Cornelson, uh, Haroon Rami. Yeah, younger Vigashima, the world champion, Julian Nauten, who's now a chef. So these guys were insane. I mean, the, the French were insane. The Japanese were insane. So, uh, Chapin actually said, so I think very clearly our best player at the end of that era was Mark Herberholtz, right? May, might be a, he was better than us by that, by that point. Um, yeah. Like we had no active, because V was working in R&D. Uh, we had no active Finkel, no active Kibler, etc. Like our best player was Herberholtz. And Chapin actually made the claim that I was one of the top 10 Americans on the Pro Tour back then. Which, I mean, I thought was insane to that you would say. I thought about it, and I looked back, and like, Americans certainly weren't finishing in the money. Like, I could at least win a PTQ. I mean, if you look at some of the Americans who did top eight in that period of time, right, you have, like, some, some, some you know, Ryan Kamara, Billy Moreno, Chris, uh, Chris McDaniels, like, people who just weren't, 
uh, never to be seen again, right? Uh, not, never to be seen again, or, or you know, found different places in magic. You know, Billy obviously oh, was well, definitely well for himself yeah. in gaming. I, I, I didn't mean that to be. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I'm saying like it, you're not talking about the Siyoshi Vegetas where there'll be like four or five Pro Tours and top eight, three of them. You know, right. the, the the bar was set by guys like Nasif who would um, uh, correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, Top eight every single pro tour that had a constructed component for two years and win a pro tour that was limited in a two year period. Like that was the bar. Yeah, he, yeah. It was, uh, that's about right. Am I correct? Every single constructed pro tour he top eighted and then. Uh, People who, who, who were making, you know, pro tour top eights felt like, you know, 20% of the time. Um, let me think. Uh, I mean, the Ruel brothers were. In the top eight, quite often as well. Yeah, that was that was their heyday, right? Yeah, so I mean, I'm 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 not claiming this thing about myself, but Chapin actually, I thought he made it actually a not crazy argument after I thought about it for a second because Americans were just not fielding successfully at the pro tour level at that point. Uh, So, like I said before, my opponent was literally American, so I just kept this hand that didn't do anything playing for day two, and he was playing tooth and nail, so he destroyed me. (laughs) End of the story. He destroyed me, and then I won a bunch of matches against like people who had. Uh, I, I actually figured out how to beat the 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 proto dredge deck at the time, so it was different from Billy's deck. It was like Psychotog, um, Golgari Grave Troll, but it was you know with Wild Mongrel and way more, just kind of like a a plus version of uh, existing madness and, and flashback strategy. It's just like, wait, what if I just kept all of my creature kill and killed all the creatures? Didn't Billy Billy's deck had Mongrel? Billy's deck was a Billy's deck was a psychotog deck. I thought, you know, like, and this deck was more of like a madness deck. You know, right. I, I think the British primarily played it, if I recall. Oh, I, rem- I remember that deck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember that deck. So, um, but anyway, uh, enough about those days. So we actually we we can touch upon a bunch of different topics. One of them was I do want to continue to go down the topic that you're talking about, which is, which I'm I believe you're trying to get at, which is the. Uh, the different monocolored strategies you could play over the years, right? That's yeah. I, you could argue that mono green is the sixth most respected monocolored strategy I, in the history of Magic. Substantial disagree. Mono white is the worst. I, I but you're, you're, are you talking about what you believe to be the power rankings of the colors? I think or the, but, what the, the general attitude of the player base is towards those archetypes. Zero respect, lowest power level. But I think, like, zero respect. There's two kinds of... I mean, and I, you're talking to someone who we just got spent, finished talking about the fact that I've cycled a bunch of renewed fates and cast a bunch of pulse of the fields. You know, look at the green-white deck that Brian Kibler used to make um, top eight of, of U.S. Nationals 2004, right? My green-white deck. Yeah. We splashed green in a mono-white deck just for the card to oxidize. It's essentially uh, a mono, and then we we sideboarded obviously tooth and nail package, which was really it was an awesome sideboard. But the, right. but, but that that had a lot to do with you know the fact that there was an affinity uh, environment, right? Like affinity was a big deck at that point. Yeah, I mean this was we used to brag that it was the greatest deck of all time against affinity, and it was also good against goblins. You know, the, but the but my point being that I'm actually a designer who you know. Pers- I mean, didn't I personally invent Windbrisk Heights in Constructed Play? The uh, 
with the wrist charm deck. Like I, I, I personally like mono white control decks. It's a personal thing, that, the, a personal limitation of uh, of who I am that I actually like these things. Probably be a stronger deck designer and better human being if that weren't the case. But I actually think that mono white gets no respect at all, like negative respect, and it's the weakest in power level. There's no question. So, so your opponent, you see your opponent registering their deck, and they're like, I'm sorry, I'll be ready to play in two minutes. I got here late, the judge said I just finished filling up my deck for registration sheet, and we can start playing, right? And the first thing they fill in is their lands. And the things that they can write are 28 islands, uh, 21 planes. How about 26 islands? There's 28 islands, 26 islands, 26 (laughs) swamps. 28 islands. 25 swamps. 26 swamps. (laughs) 25 swamps. (laughs) Twenty-one planes. Yeah. Uh, how many? How many forests? Sixteen forests. Sixteen forests. <laughs> Sixteen forests. Yeah. Or nineteen mountains. Yep. What? What's? What's the? What's, what's the rank order? Yeah. I, irrespective of what I'm playing. I mean, I've never played a deck in a tournament that could lose to a monocolor deck. So, the, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding, obviously. Uh, although it's rare. The, the. Uh, the rank order, I think, mono blue is the strongest. Uh, mono black is the second strongest. Mono red is the third strongest. Mono green is the fourth strongest. Mono white is the dregs. I disagree. I think that the two decks you're going to be most nervous about uh, sitting down there is if you see the, the, all the planes getting filled in. Well, you think planes and is the is the scariest? I, I think mountains is the scariest. No. And now I'm not talking about power ranking. I'm talking about you got your deck and your opponent's playing some deck that is going to lead with, you know, you know, whatever, 21 mountains, 19 whatever the number is, doesn't really matter. I, let me pause you for a second and then you can continue your thought. I would say that the, the less known my opponent is or the more not capable my opponent is, the scarier mountains become. The, the problem is that mountains don't get any stronger you know, actually, they do get stronger, but there's a tapering off point with mountains and how good your opponent is. And, like, a really not good opponent can perform disproportionately well with mountains. Sure. You would agree with that, right? I, I would agree with that. Like, a player playing at the 85th percentile and a player playing at the 99th percentile, the 99th percentile player gets not that much value from mountains relative to the 85th percentile player. But, like... The 99th percentile player with Island versus the 85th percentile player with Island is like 300% efficacy. I, I think there's a massive difference in Island and Mountain when, you, when you're talking about players at the high end. Right. Uh, I, I think that you, you have some of those. In terms of, of frighteningness, especially if I don't know who my opponent is, Mountain is the scariest. But it, I, I, would say, I would say they go in order of scariness. I'm going to be scared. Mountain, Plains, Forest. Island swamp, and and that's I'm just the least scared of a mono black deck for whatever reason. Plane? How is planes scary? Because my opponent's going to come out of the gate. They're obviously going to play a one drop. You know that one drop might be three power in two turns. And then you're going to stabilize on one, and they're never going to kill you. One life, you cannot I mean, I lose. Certainly need to, I certainly am going to need to. You know, you you know that you're going to be under a lot of pressure early. Not it sure. Would, I mean, it would really impact your decision as you're mulliganing. 
Let's 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 look at it in a different way. I would rather because we're talking in even vaster generalizations than we usually do. Sure, sure. Let's talk about the kinds of things that could happen depending on which which monocolored strategy someone could bring, right? So I'm arguing island is the scariest. To me, the scariest of the scary are the twofold or even threefold schools of high tide style control. Drago's, I'm sorry, high tide style combo, right. Drago style control, and tap out style control, which are all mono blue decks. And all of them are highly effective, respected decks. Right. I mean, like, high tide is super high. It, you know, 14 years after these cards have been printed, it continues to produce a legacy uh, since they unbanned Time Spiral. Uh, you know, it. it single-handedly skyrocketed the value of the card Candelabra of Thanos from nothing to everything. I mean, Drago is one of the fundamental strategies in in Magic at a macro level. Tapout is one of the most advanced strategies in in in, in Magic. Like, you know, it, uh, it, it's... All three of those strategies... Well, Drago and Tapout more than, than, than High Tide, but all three of those strategies deeply reward strong play. Sure. I mean, like, and, and and this is what I wait. This is why blue is lower on the scary for me in terms of not knowing who my opponent is yet. You know, it's like, well, you know, maybe, maybe they're not very good, right? Like, I'm just saying, like, you know, there, there's so much stuff that needs to happen for that blue deck to beat me. You know, where it's actually going to come down to, well, maybe I can play rip. Maybe I can play better than that. I know the game's going to go long. I know that we're going to get, I'm going to get an opportunity to interact with this person. It's interesting you say that. I had a match at the Invitational. I was playing blue-white, not mono-blue, but it it doesn't matter for the purpose of this example. Backs against the wall, game three against John. Split the first two games. I I lost game two only because I I made a series of horrible plays. So, like, I Azorius charmed my opponent so I know what his top card is, and then I don't pump my Aetherling, so if I went 8-8, I would kill him. But, like, I, so I know what his top card is, which is a Thrag Tusk. So I don't take into account the fact that I could go 8 8 and kill him through the Thrag Tusk 5. So I'm just like, oh, I will, like, play a speculative game instead. And uh, that makes me lose because he, like, river, river, rivers me. But two turns previous, he resolves Arakdos' return. I could have just cast the Snapcaster Mage in my hand for no value, but getting a body instead, I just discarded it. And that two points of damage would have also been enough. And. On top of that, um, the same turn that he, the previous turn to the cast in the Snapcast, uh, the Rexos' return, he got back into the game by casting Garrick Primal Hunter, uh, and then, um, and then drawing five off of the Thragcast that was already in play. When I had the aforementioned not discarded Snapcaster Mage in my hand, and I could have just, so, um, I could have responded to his, to his, uh, play, which made the Garrick go to the graveyard. By casting Snapcaster Mage, rebuying a Quicken in my graveyard and casting Planar Cleansling, so that he would have no creature. <laughs> and I also didn't do that. So, <laughs> like, the number of things... So I'm like, don't do that, screw up, discard everything. <laughs> so I could have just, like, had a Snapcaster Mage, you know? Uh, that would have been enough damage to push through, even with my wrong Aetherling play. By the way, I lost with an Aetherling in play. So, <laughs> the... Ladies and gentlemen, the tenth best American Magic player in, in 2005. 2004. Yes. So, so I mean, like this is like, so I mean, like Triple P's watching my match, right? And he's like, 
after the match, we like play, we we talked about it, and he's just shaking his head. He's like, "It's hard to watch you play, man." So him and Sean McEwen is watching it too. But the thing was, both of them said that I played game three is so insanely well, right? So my opponent comes out of the gates. He's playing Jund, and he goes like, "Threat card, threat card, underworld connections, Liliana underworld connections," and he's like Liliana-ing my hand and drawing three cards a turn. So I should probably lose, right? I destroyed him. I was just like, "Quicken, Snapcaster, Quicken is like uh." Augurables, and I just attacked him through everything, and I just like played this perfect tempo game where like every single thing that he did, I would like respond with like a tempo answer, even though he's drawing three cards a turn, like milking off of the damage he's doing to himself, and I exact he's killing. And they're like, and John's like, I don't even know how to play the game that you played, you know, <laughs> and and I'm like, it was obvious, <laughs> you know, he's like, he's he's crushing. I'm never gonna catch up with him with think twices. Um, uh, against, like, two Underworld connections. But he's going to put a hole in his life total for me. And I could play this this game with, like, Snapcaster Mages and Resto Angels that he could never beat because he's tapping so he's tapping all of his lands to draw cards and he's giving up the board, you know? And that's why I think Mono Blue is, like, so high in the scary level and also why I think that it can it can, um, it can reward players who, who have a certain level of capability because they just play this different game using the same cards. And it's funny, because Triple P is like, I played game two so badly he had to walk away. (laughs) He literally was shaking his head walking away. He's like, I can't watch you play. Like, you're my friend. I can't. He's just come off winning a Grand Prix a month earlier, right? And he's like, but then you played game three in this, like, Bobby Fischer game. that like, no one else in the room knows how to play this game. And the opponent never had a chance. The exact same, and I mean, I had better cards in game two, right? Like, I had eight, actually, I had Quick and Planar Cleansing, which is my plan against Jund, and I resolved an Aetherling. I should not be able to lose this game, right? I actually just had to make a series of, of unfortunate events in order, in order to lose game two. But in game three, just like, oh, no, weird oblique plan that other people don't see? Obviously, that's the one I'm going to be able to win with. By the way, John taught me how to play that game. Yeah. He so literally taught me how to play that, that game. How does that tie back to the monocolored deck discussion? Because only blue can do that. The other colors, they can't do that plan. Because you look at blue and you're like, oh, no, 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 no. I'm not scared of blue because the game's going to be long. Maybe the game's going to be long. Maybe maybe I'm not going to play that game with you. Like you sure. So what John taught me is, like, when you're playing a control deck, he was playing a black control deck at the time, not a blue control deck. He's like, but you set your hand... And then you get suddenly you get information from your opponent. So John had cast a duress on his opponent, right? So he knew what his hand was. And he's like, if I make the following series of plays, he will not be able to win. So he has to draw Invigorate. If he draws any card but Invigorate, he's just going to get blown out in turn five or whatever. And so that's what he did. He's, and he asked me after the match, he's like, he's like, would you have played the game like that? I'm like, no, I would have just like sat there, leveled up Powder Keg, you know, perished his creatures, drawn some cards probably gotten, like, a thrashing wumpus and played, like, a 50-turn long game. He's like, you could have played that, and what if he draws a bunch of Blastoderms off the top? It's not like we have counter spells, you know? How about I kill him the turn before that those cards are going to come online? And I never thought about approaching control magic that way. Not control magic, the card. Like, I'm playing control deck, but I could just cast my cards fast. And my cards are actually really good. So the finishers that you play in blue or black control decks are generally much more powerful than, than than creatures that are played in other decks, but there's not very many of them, so you don't necessarily expose them to threats, right? You, right. you, you play them you play them like sparingly. And that, that was actually one of the things I thought about when, when working on the uh, 
the tap out blue deck um, way back in 2005 or whatever. It's like, well, what if we just tapped out instead of waiting? And, you know, uh, anyway, that's that's what's feeding my opinion about blue being the strongest. It, I, it, a, it has among the scariest combo decks of all time in, in high tide, and then it has multiple strands of, of control decks that can play a different game. If you want to like, ask Cuneo, Cuneo tapped out on turn three for Steel Golem more than once. Sure. I mean, uh, and, and if Andrew Cuneo was registering those islands, I'd be a lot more scared. I, I agree with you. If it's Rando Kid, I'm sc- most scared of Mountain, but I would actually caveat, I would actually more, be more scared of Forest as the next as the next scary one, not Plains. I'm just really not scared of White Weenie cards. <laughs> okay, how can... They, you stabilize on one and they don't kill you. I, I don't... That's not a difficult concept. You, you, you do realize that Green is capable of doing a lot of the same things, like, just in terms of, like, what you presented, uh, in terms of, like, you know, a super-fast aggro deck or a combo deck. Like, I mean, someone plays, is playing all forest. They could very easily be playing a degenerate combo deck. Yeah, I agree. They could be playing... That's actually what I was imagining. I was like, they could be playing elves, they could be playing... Maybe not in mono-green, but you could make it this way, right? You could play Zvi's Colonian Hydra deck essentially the same deck as a modern right. green deck, right? right? I mean, it doesn't have... G- Gavany Township's the only white card in the deck, right? Yeah, that's pretty sweet. I mean, it's not even really white, you know? It's it's a land. So, um, if you... You can approach it like that, that's a... That's a I, actually, that's the, the kind of deck that I don't know how to play against the worst. Is that the right sentence? I, the, 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 the two holes in my strategic understanding of magic are decks that have cards like, uh, uh, what's the ninjutsu for U1, the Ophidian ninjutsu? Uh, talking about Ninja of the Deep Out? Yeah, I don't, I don't have a strong grasp of, of packages to beat decks with cards like Ninja of the Deep Hours, and I don't have a strong, uh, a strong capability or understanding of how to beat Decks that can develop both their battlefield and their hand at the same time, and that's typically green degenerate decks. Sure. You, like, you also don't know how to play against Wild Mongrel. I, I eventually learned how to play. I, I can play against my Wild Mongrel and Constructed. <laughs> completely not true. I, the number of times I've lost with Wild Mongrel and Constructed are, is very tightly correlated, though not at a one-to-one ratio, with the number of times I had Wild Mongrel in my deck. So if <laughs> if I had Wild Mongrel, I might lose to Wild Mongrel. If I didn't have Wild Mongrel, I'd never lost to Wild Mongrel and Constructed. <laughs> It's the opposite of limited. In limited, if they had a wild mongrel, I would lose whether or not I had wild mongrel. <laughs> but in constructed, I lost only if I also had wild mongrel. So, but, that, but that's that's talking about what you're scared of. To me, I, I was just when I when I was asking this question, kind of online, uh, was what, what do you, you know, if you're you're now now the opposite is you're going into a new format. You have to register. Again, it's it's this bizarre hypothetical situation. You're going into uh, a Theros constructed tournament. Yeah. You will only get to play with one of the five basic lands. You can only only use basic lands in in one color. You have to play a monocolor deck. It's a a bizarre format. This is what you have to do. Yep, yep. What is, in general, what's the ranking order in which those lands would be drafted? I mean, green is the scariest and blue is the worst. Agree? I only know five Theros cards. Two of them are green. The best two are both green. (laughs) 
TRF. Uh, I, I, have, I actually haven't seen any of those cards. I haven't looked yet. We can go over some of them. We can, uh... Uh, I, I'm I'm perfectly willing to talk about cards that people already know about. Although, when when do previews start? They start this week. Uh, I think they start next week. Next week, you know, you know, just yeah, they'll start after PAX because the PAX uh PAX is coming up next weekend. Uh, the community cup, and then on Saturday is the PAX party, the Magic party, and at the Magic party, that's where they'll end up spoiling a whole bunch of Theros cards. But there is a, uh, I want to say in. Heroes versus Monsters, there were a number of Theros cards that were spoiled. Let's take a look at that. So, um, the, uh, I, I want to finish the, so, anyway, I want to finish the monocolor yeah, historical yeah, yeah. discussion. Then I actually want to get to something that you touched on, and I touched on a bit, which is the black-white strategy, and me co-opting Will Pop, or vice versa, and gaining for life, because there's been tons of questions to us on Twitter, discussions with Luminaries as far flung as uh, Sam Black and Tom Martell. Hi, Mrs. Martell, about the various black-white strategies we've talked about. Um, and I think people are really interested in this, and so we actually like it. Yeah, uh, and then, it. then we can go to Theros, and then we can actually, for, for the tail end of this cast, I want to talk about the topic we were ending on last week, and, you know, Marshall L.R. was like, yo, that was a good topic, and which is, you know, kind of igniting your passions and, and right. doing more of the things that you're interested in and less of... Uh, you know, I had a discussion with a, an executive this week. I said, I really don't have any interest in living life by anybody else's rules uh, and, and kind of, you know, self-actualizing a little bit more. And you're much better at this than I am, but I think I'm better than average. Um, so anyway, so let's, let's finish. The monocolors, I, I put blue at the top because of, um, because of those three main strategies. I put black next uh, because you have the disparate strategies of um, necropotence and suicide black are diametrically opposite, uh, both super powerful. And then you have decks like Napster. I mean, I don't, I don't think Napster really goes down as a, as a, an elite strategy in terms of how objectively powerful it was, although it was very influential. Um, but, you know, those are obviously not the same things. Um, and you, said, you think that I'm overrating black. You have black like in the drags, right? I have black lower, yeah. Well, I mean... If you're going to look at black from the past couple of years, mono black has not been... Hey, actually, I, if you want to talk about mono black, maybe that's the case, but... Yeah, it, it has to... I mean, that's the, that's the idea, right? Like, I'm specifically talking about monocolor strategies. Not something where you get to... You get to like, you're not like your white-green deck where you get to augment with Oxidize. green to shore up a weakness. <laughs> yeah, I was just thinking that... Um, that black-red zombies deck that had both Geralt's Messenger and, uh, you know, Knight of Infamy and, and Thunder My Hulkite basically won every single event for, like, two months, right? Right. And then when, when there was that PTQ weekend when Pillar of Flame was not working correctly on Moto and it wasn't RFGing, <laughs> then uh, the, the zombie deck won the PTQ that weekend. I mean, and it was just direct relationship. Like, oh, you can't kill my Geralt's Messenger? Lol. <laughs> Ball take two. <laughs> so uh, I mean, those those are still powerful cards in standard. But it, I think you make a good point. If you're not pairing them with cards like Falcon Wrath Aristocrat, they're they're way less interesting than they are in monocolor strategy. Um, what well, did I? Really, there really are a lot of cards that they spoil. Yeah, it's like seven cards or something. Two, three, four, seven cards. Yeah. Um, one of them is my fa- one of my favorite cards of all time. 
Really? Which card? I love Miraculous Recovery. Oh, I'm not looking at the same that you're... Uh, I'll DM you. Go look in your DMs. This is weird, like, being on computers. Yeah, yeah. I don't think I like it. Yeah, I don't is... like it either. It's much more fun when we're, you know, outside and the world is sort of intruding on the podcast. Um, yeah. Now I just get my wife padding by quietly. Uh, I... I... I kicked my daughter out. She just wanted to, like, hang out in the room with me while I was doing my podcast. She was, like, quietly playing um, with her headphones on. But I kicked her out because I told you I might say a more uh, revelrous story later. And uh, I, didn't want, I, didn't, I didn't want to be too impressionable on her. But, um, you know, that's a bad use of the word impressionable, by the way. Uh, <laughs> but she's in the next room. I'm sure she'll be able to hear my story, even if she couldn't understand it. Um, anyway, what did I have next? Mono red? I think I have mono red for the reasons that, yeah. that you think mono red is, is scary. And it, it's mono red's got like two and a half really big strategies over the time. You've got like fast beat down slash fast burn decks, and then you've got like the big decks, you know, uh, decks in the, the kind of the Ponza vein. Sure, big uh, and, and, and including the deck uh, most recently from Grand Prix Calvary. Cavalry. What is Calgary. What what's wrong with me? Grand Prix Calgary, which was the uh, Burning Earth strategy, it was a, a really surprisingly good deck. Um, I I didn't understand how how it performed, and then I lost to it on Moto a couple of times. I'm like, well, this is not a bad deck at all. Uh, and, you know, and you know, again, that kind of strategy is really going to disproportionately reward players at the lower end spectrum, and it just hits the limit uh, sooner for for players on the higher end of the spectrum, in my opinion. And then I had green. Uh, Green's got decks from, you know, degenerate combo decks like Elves to, uh, you know, there was a time, I think Seth Burns said this back in, I want to say 2000, maybe, that Trinity Green was the highest highest performing deck statistically of all time uh, in large tournaments. Remember Trinity Green? Uh, uh, Trinity Green's one of my all-time favorite decks. Um, I love Trinity Green because it couldn't beat Napster. (laughs) And then John's won Swiss loss at Nationals to Trinity Green. (laughs) Did, okay. did he did he get locked out with uh, Helix? No, he just got massacred. Oh, okay. Well, that's the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like I played against Trinity Green like like multiple times that tournament. I just like looked at my hand, and I literally looked at my hand once, and it had the main deck engineered plague, a ritual, and a vampiric tutor. Looked at my opponent, and I was, it was Alex Schwartzman actually. I was just like, Alex, are you playing elves? You know, I said elves and Trinity Green. He's like, why do you ask? I'm like. So I, actually, I drew all the main deck cards that are good against your decks. So I'm pretty sure you're just playing it. And he's like, first turn, land off. So I just go Swamp Go. I actually have everything that I need, but I don't cast it on the first turn. It's so like, wait for him to tap his mana for Rothalos on the second turn. And then I drill out Engineered, engineered Plague. <laughs> you like that one? <laughs> I could have just cast it on the first turn. But, uh, you know. He's just like, yeah, I could, I could see why, why you asked that question. <laughs> Um, I think I played against Melissa that tournament too, and she also was playing Trinity Green. I want to say it was a really super high pulling uh, deck for the first part of the championship season in in that year, but uh, not in the second half. You know when right. when the Tinker decks came, like the Trinity could never beat the Tinker decks. So right. kind of obvious. So, so for people who don't know what the deck is, the deck was a was a deck that would kind of just ramp up to disgusting amounts of mana quickly. <laughs> Very Five mana on turn three is really the claim to fame. Right. 
Right. You know, so, so I mean, you had you had Priest of Titania and Ruffalo's yep. in that deck. Typically four and four, as I recall. Yeah. Um, and and Llanowar elves. Like eight elves, I want to say on turn yeah. one. Like Llanowar and Findhorn, is that right? That's was Findhorn legal? Like, I, I don't. I'm not. Sure. I want to say it was eight on turn one. Yeah. And then you would play. Maybe it was Bird. And then you would play like uh, what was the, what's the heel called again? Um, Mistress Heels, but I think it was a sideboard card. I was like, that card was really good. Or you just play Plow Under, or yeah. Stunted Growth, or it was Tangle Wire, Plow Under, Elvish Poacher. Oh, Elvish. So you get like you, you get the, the stupid draw, which was like second turn Tangle Wire. Nobody beats that usually, right? Like only Ritual decks beat that. Um, or later, you know, uh, Tinker could beat it because they had like really explosive mana that wasn't affected by things that hit your lands, right? Um, so. Like the second turn Tangle Wire draws, or the third turn Plowwater draws, really powerful. Your fallback plan was like Elvish Poacher, which was four mana for a two-two Rebel. Yes. So, so I have a very funny story about the Poacher. So he's a two-two Rebel, but in green. But yeah. he could search up elves, so, and he would search up Deranged Turban. Yeah. So <laughs> so we're doing uh, playing some Commander at uh, whatever I guess in Amsterdam, and. Trick Jarrett, uh, who runs the, the Daily MTG, you know, writers, uh, is playing his mono red deck. And he has the... Was there, there was a red one, right? I don't remember. I, I believe it was the red one, and it just fetches up, and it fetches up goblins. And, right, because there right, was a black one, there was the black and white had mercenaries and, and rebels, and then the red, green, and blue all had one. So he plays, he plays the red one. And, uh, you know, and, and Marshall's just like, what the hell is that card? I've never seen it, right? He's just, like, going crazy. And I'm like, oh, yeah, there's one of those for elves. Because he plays, he plays a, a blue-green commander deck. Yep. And his, I, I swear, his eyes popped out of his head. Like, he just couldn't even understand not only how that card could exist, but how it could exist outside of, like, a commander-only product. Oh, yeah, you would get deranged tournament with it. <laughs> That's like Aaron Forsythe's claim to fame was right. making this red-green deck that got deranged tournaments. Right, was there, was there, wait, so that would mean the red one would have been able to get Siege Gang Commander. Maybe there wasn't, or was there a red one? I, I, I don't recall if there was a red one. The only one that matters to me is Skytrap Poacher. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, so it's four mana Rebel in green, and it gets Skytrap Poacher. I'm sorry, yeah, it gets, um... Deranged Tournament. So, the deck was quite powerful and explosive, but as you can tell from listening to this, it's the kind of deck that, like, its entire game develops on the ground. Right. So, like, uh, the thing that I said where I, I personally have a strategic a strategic uh, chink in the armor is decks that develop on the ground and in the hand at the same time. Right. You know how to beat decks that develop their hand, right? You know how to beat decks that develop on the ground, but, but both at the same time, like, Zvi's deck plays a card like... Uh, Garrett Collar of Beasts. That, that deck, I, I was just, that's immediately the deck I thought yeah. of when you were talking about it. Because it feels, on one hand, like Trinity Green. But it's yeah, Trinity Green that has seven cards in hand. And then on the other hand, it's just this, it feels like a blue deck in the terms of its ability to replenish its hand. So I'll, just, I'll tell you what, so there, say your opponent gets a quicker because you didn't kill his... Yeah, so when you, when you say Zvi's deck, by the way, people probably recognize the deck a little better as, oh, as... William Jensen's deck that he played... At the Star City. So, right? actually, to be fair to everyone involved, 
uh, Go Dennis and Zvi made the deck for Go Dennis, who's the Lithuanian national champion to play in the World Championships, right? Yeah. Or the World Magic Cup. That's the purpose of the deck. They gave the deck to Josh to potentially play in the Invitational. So Josh tricks me into buying a set of Colonian Hydras and then doesn't play the deck. Me, Josh, and Huey all scrub out of the Invitational. And so we're playing in the Standard Tournament the next day, and Huey's just like, I really don't want to play. He, he had just made top eight of the previous Standard Open with his red-white-blue control deck, but he just kind of don't play this anymore. Yeah, just, it's boring. It's boring. <laughs> so, like, and he didn't do well the previous day. So just like, give me anything. And Josh is like, you can play this stupid elf deck. <laughs> like, it's literally like, this stupid elf deck. And, and, uh, and he was like, oh, I guess I'll play this. He's like, but I'm not paying for Colonial Hydras. And Josh is like, really? <laughs> because I, I happen to know an idiot who spent $160 on some. <laughs> and I, I was that idiot. So, um, uh, yeah, so... You recognize it as Huey's deck, but Huey had zero to do with it. It's V's deck, V and Go. Um, and so this deck, the reason that it's hard to play against is they're developing their, their battlefield really explosively, right? The deck's got Elvish Mystic, Arbor Elf, Avacyn's Pilgrim. It's got 12 one-drop elves, and it's got, like, Elvish Archdruid, right? So they're going to develop the battlefield very quickly. But then, instead of just committing to the battlefield, they could if they wanted to. They can accelerate out to Colonian Hydra. They've got like, this insane threat in the Colonian Hydra out there. Or even a Wolfier Silverheart's a pretty awesome threat. If you, uh, right. you know, boom, it's like an almost guaranteed five if your opponent's tapped, and then might be like 15 damage the next turn or something. Those are good cards. But if they just play Garrett Call of Beasts, they have their battlefields obviously already developed because they've accelerated out this six-drop Planeswalker. But then they, the first time they draw five cards, you got to say to yourself, ah, F. Because what the hell are you supposed to do? Do you hit their hand? Because if you hit their hand, they beat you with their board. If you hit their board, trust me, the number of times they just do that one time and then drop a Crater Hook Behemoth and kill you the next turn is really sucky. Like, they just go, boom, boom, Crater Hook Behemoth kill you. And you have to hit all their, all their portions of their strategy simultaneously, or, you know, you're, you're not going to win. And the decks that can do that are typically decks like Jund that have Rakdos' Return, right? Rakdos' Return can hit your hand, and then it can burn down the Planeswalker at the same time. Or um, decks like, I, I was playing a, a straight red young Pyromancer deck for a few weeks on Moto, and it has a ton of, of really cheap removal, including, like, Geist Flame. So Geist Flame's like, you know, double back on Avacyn's Pilgrim and Elvish Mystic. And you, yeah, so you just kill all the little elves and they can never get to the point where they're casting a six. You kill them before they do. Because like the, the thing is that that deck doesn't have any removal, so you play like a young Pyromancer, and whenever you kill a creature, you're actually adding to your offense. And what, what ends up happening most of the time when you're playing a removal-based attrition strategy is you kill other guys, but you eventually run out of removal. If they ever draw a guy that's past what you have for removal, they'll kill you with it, right? But you have a card like Young Pyromancer, every time you kill one of their guys, you actually get more offense. And then you can just go kill them well before they can reestablish. So it's, it's only decks that have these sort of unique angles that are very, like, format and card dictated, right? Like, if you were to look at, like, the, the great span of Magic the Gathering, you're like, well, what do you want to do? I want whatever the equivalent of Rakdos' return in your format is. That's what I would like. Well, there's only two cards in the history of Magic that do that. So, 
But it's kind of an odd request, you know? Right. Like, oh, I would like whatever your young pyromancer equivalent is. Like, oh, really? Would you? Because our py- young pyromancer equivalent is young pyromancer. And it was printed for the first time in 2013. That, that card is so good. Yeah, it's really good. Uh, it, it, I, I think I bought it for a nickel. And it's, I think it's up to $3 for an uncommon now. Which is, uh... I'm, I'm good at the magic strategy. Uh, but it finance? Actually not. Colonial Hydras are down by 10. <laughs> I, I made it. I made it up on my Boros Reckoners, and uh, I mean, I really made it up on Voice of Resurgence. I got that guy for like fifteen, I think. He's like forty. Right. That's a card that feels like it'll never go down. Yeah, he's never. He's he's gonna be. He's gonna be a stud for years. Unless he gets banned in every format. Banned in modern. I mean, he's kind of really good in modern, right? Yeah, he's really good in modern. <laughs> really good. So, um, right. So green, and then I, I think white. Who's scared of white? Seriously, Brian. White weenie. I mean, people. All right. Do you know I why mean, Craig Wesco is notable for White Weenie? Yes. Because nobody expects anybody to win with White Weenie. So the one dude who's ever won a match with White Weenie is notable. Uh, I mean, Cedric Phillips has been known to play the Kipkin. Uh, Kyle Rose. Yeah. I mean, of course, that was when you could do degenerate things briefly with your White Weenie deck, right? Like erase. The way <laughs> You know who the first person to play Waylay yeah, in, in a in a premiere event was? You, you took people off to that strategy in the limited portion of Nashville. I did. So I so nobody knew about not nobody. Obviously some people knew about it because I knew about it. And I played it in, in the limited portion of Nationals and I won my first draft. I took Waylay like really high in a Rochester draft. I think I took it third. And people are like, Why do you think Waylay is so high? And I was like, Yeah, don't worry about it. So like three oh six on my first draft, largely ball lightning my opponents out. And, um, so, so, and again, for people who don't know how, uh, you know, who are looking at Waylay and might not understand looking at the card why that might seem broken, the the way Waylay works is it's like put three creatures into into play and they have haste, but and then it was like uh, so. Th- there's a triggered ability which is and that, then, right, and then you you remove them from the game at at end of turn at end of turn. So there's a trigger, and if you played it after that trigger had resolved, at the end of your opponent's turn, you could essentially untap, have your mana to do stuff, and have three two-two attackers. Yeah, so you're ball lightning them on the next turn. So yeah. it's it's a uh, so you know when I won my first draft table, like you know Adrian Sullivan, who had told me about the way like combo, was watching. He's like, you know, you didn't really have to do this, and and I'm like, yeah, I, what do you mean I didn't have to do this? I just won my first draft pot at Nationals. It's like a big deal to me. Right? And that's a big deal to anybody, I think. Um, and he's like, yeah, but you don't have to do it that way. He's like, hey, my deck was insane. So maybe I would have been able to 306, maybe not 3060, but like, you know, 3062 or whatever, my, my table, if, uh, without, uh, without tipping the hand away late. Because what ended up happening the next day was like 50% of the, the decks played in standard were white weenie ball lightning decks. Um, because the way combo was just so obviously. So obviously the best thing that most people could do. And you actually had people. I, I played a match where my opponent had a notebook and written down. He had the wording on how to cast the spell so he would say it correctly. Because he didn't know how to do it before the tournament started, right? So like at end of turn, after all, all end of turn effects have been put on the stack, cast Waylay. Uh, but the thing was I beat all of those guys. I wasn't really <laughs> that, that worried about it. Except for Steve MacArthur, which... Uh, Tom Martell, every single time I see him now, because he lives in California instead of New York, so every time I see him, which is several times a year still, he makes sure to mention Steve MacArthur. Sure. Um, 
And he's like, oh, well, that's not how MacArthur tells the story. That's <laughs> literally. <laughs> so he says, you could have done this, this, and this. And I'm like, this is a 14-year-old match. Steve MacArthur really still telling Tom Martell the details of how I didn't beat him? I mean, I would, I would point out yeah. that you are still telling the details of this 14-year-old <laughs> match right now on this podcast. People are loving it. Mrs. Martell right now is like, oh, Tom, you have such a great memory. That's why you always remember to say, call me on my birthday. You're such a great son, Tom. I love this podcast because it makes me feel like I'm in the room with you, even when you're not on it. So, (laughs) going back to other topics, uh, you said you wanted to talk a little bit about the... The black-white deck? Yeah. I love the the monocolored deck. (laughs) I can talk about that all day. Uh, okay, so the black-white deck topic. Um, uh, you didn't post your extort version of the... I, yeah, I mean, I didn't. It was a, it's, a, it's a pretty unpolished list. I just I built something really quick. I, I tried to put Lingering Souls in. Uh, I played Archangel of Thun. I put in some Syndicate Tithes that we talked about and um, the Tithe Drinkers. So I... Uh... And I also, I also put in the... the what you call it? The... Uh, What's the enchantment? Angelic, angelic. Uh... No, no, no. The the, the uh, extort enchantment. Oh, blind obedience. Blind obedience. So, so two two things. Do you mind if I put that deck in the show notes so people no, like it? Not. Okay. Yeah, so we'll put that in the show notes, and then I I don't know if I told you this. I played about forty matches with it last week. Um, and I actually I, thought... I played. I also played uh, Path of Bravery. Yes, yes. Which I thought was a really good card. I cited that card out a lot. Maybe I'm not doing it right, or maybe. I don't know. It was like the, my first card out almost every match. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it was just one of the, it was just another card that I felt like, like probably if you, you would cut that card, that would get your Bond Brew combo back in. Well, I, I like, you play like two Path of Bravery. It was not that many. Yeah. The, 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 the issues that I saw were, I was playing so hard to get the Path of Bravery online. And then, like the payoff wasn't even that good. Like your opponent would just do anything to you, and then it was offline again. I, I didn't. I didn't want it. I didn't need to get it online to be a plus one plus one. It was just like, what if you go lingering souls, flashback lingering souls. Next turn, you're like path of bravery, attack for four, gain four life, make an angel. It was just. It was just another. It was just another passive way to uh, you know turn on your angel making. I. I thought it was substantially better than the deck that I originally made, which was like the Bog Brew Witch plus Angelica Cord deck. Right. I, I thought your deck was substantially better. Um, well, I mean, I, I believe that that is largely just Lingering Souls, which is the card you said should have been in the deck. Yeah, I, mean, I added Lingering Souls. <laughs> but your deck was better even even after I added Lingering Souls. I actually thought that Archangel of Thune was excellent in your deck as well. Oh my god, that card is so good. Yeah, we were so, see, That was the other thing, like, Lingering Soul, I mean, Archangel was doing Path of Bravery is just stupid. Oh yeah, that's multiple stack counters. So, um, yeah, but then I, I actually went back to... Way, I, beat, I beat multiple people playing that deck with, like, seven, eight goats. Really? Yeah, I got seven, I mean... I may have I may have whooped my line of play so that I could kill them with seven eight goats. <laughs> but I definitely I definitely goaded a number of people out. Oh man. For those of you at home who don't know, <laughs> Trading Post puts the hurt on Desecration Demon. Just like pay one, laugh off your demon. 
Yeah. And like unless they draw like multiple pieces of removal, which they sometimes do, like you, they really have to draw a lot of removal to get out from under that. So the trading post just like locks down the six eight. It's it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. It don't matter. So I, I had an interesting card mentioned on Twitter yesterday by uh, Chris Lansdale. And he was referencing, he's like, I guess at Grand Prix Oakland, and he was playing with a deck that was like a, a future, maybe a future future league deck that, you know, was now available in standard that Dave Guskin had built. And it had an interesting one-drop artifact that is not Elixir of Immortality. But is is kind of interesting in this kind of in the set of cards we've been talking about. Scroll of Avacyn. It was actually in my first my first pass on the deck, and I cut it. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. All right. Awesome. I, I hadn't seen that. Now, that card seems seems really interesting. I mean, just you know me, you know I love like to be able to just cycle for one or you know, cycle a card, one drop artifact. You know, get a get a get a card back. You know, I love that. Tremendous amount of upside on that. Uh, it's just from my perspective, I, I didn't think it was a, a difficult cut. But, I mean, I guess for rebuying it with trading posts, it might be really good, right? Right. Yeah, that's that's kind of what I was thinking about. Like, you know, it's just it's just like a, a cheap card that you get to, you know, put early, cycle through. And then it just has some, some synergy with your, you know, if you have like an Archangel Thune. Or if you have, you know, maybe you're playing Restoration Angels for some reason or some other. It was just, it was just an interesting card to think about. So, speaking of Restoration Angels, so I, I took it way back, and I went back to the Bog Brew Witch combo from, for a third version of the deck, which actually this version doesn't have any Angelica Chord, which I took heat from you and Will Pop from. I believe Will Pop said, like I'm going to play a deck that has no Angelica Chord. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. Me, me neither. Um... But I just went to just like kind of a Sam Black deck with yeah. with a uh, Bog Brewwitch combo in it, and I've been like really happy with it. And I understand it doesn't have Angelic Chord. There are probably some some problems. Like Sam says, I should definitely have Dark Prophecy somewhere. It's, you certainly can be outcarded by by blue decks, but Ooh, Dark Prophecy seems pretty sweet in there. Like Dark, Pro- I bet you if you play Dark Prophecy, you're suddenly going to want more elixirs. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh well, that's a that's a different story entirely. So. Um, but it's just like uh, Lifebane Zombies and Sin Collectors and Resto Angels, and you know it's it's been great for me. And like I think that Stromkirk Noble is one of the scariest things that you can play against I, Turn One and Standard. Stromkirk Noble is the is like the bane of my playtesting with the with the other deck. I and, just get destroyed by it. I mean, just any deck, right? Like. So many of the time, the blocker that I would intend to put in front of a strong noble is either a Snapcaster Mage or a Borderland Ranger, and they don't actually block stronger noble. <laughs> so um, you just like answer that with a festering newt, and they just have no no good spots. Like they, either they can pillar it, which is fine, you know, it's a one for one trade. But anything else, like any other kind of removal, they're going to end up with a dead stronger noble. You just block. You know, even if all it does is like modify their play a little bit. So they're changing the order of their play or something. You actually have some space there, and you can also, you can also put it in front of a two-two. Sure. Dark Noble and kill it. Kill it. Yep. And then there's you know it's got Scott like an, or they might just stall themselves for a turn because they don't want to make a bad trade. And you just play like a cartel aristocrat, right? And they're like, what are you going to do now? And you're like, I'm going to block here and here. My cartel aristocrat gets prot red and shoot your other guy. 
because that's what happens when Festering Nuke dies. And, like, it's just a blowout. Right. Um, and Dex, Dex pretty good. Um, you know, a lot of ability to set up Tragic Slip with uh, not just Parcel Aristocrat, but, of course, um, Bubbling Cauldron out of the Bog Brew Witch combo. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, but, you know, there's probably a better deck yet to, to come out of this, because the one thing that I've, I've been saying is uh, kind of the... The soundbite is that Bubbling Cauldron plus Angelica Court is basically a batter skull. Yeah. Yeah, so, like, you can swing, sack the guy, you know, it, swing and sack the guy is basically like they take four and you gain four, because, like, what happens on a batter skull, and then you get a, a guy back, 4-4. Four, four. Right. So it's just, like, it kind of had vidge. So... Yeah, this, is, this is what I saw uh, when I was at San Diego Comic-Con, and, you know, the original tweet, I guess, that kind of got you thinking about building that deck. And, uh, you know, a guy, guy just crushed a draft there just with those two cards. And that was exactly that. He's like, I, you know, I was like, oh, you did, did you have anything to go degenerate with? He's like, no, I would just make a guy. And then, you know, if they dealt with that guy and could just remake the guy game for life, like, they just couldn't possibly kill me. And I always had four, four flyers. Yeah, it's, it's really insane. It's, like, more resilient than a Baneslayer Angel. Yeah. So... They have to attack something different. They have to actually attack either your Angelic Accord or your or your uh, Cauldron. So, I mean, there's there's certainly a better deck to come out of this, and one of the reasons that I know this to be a factual statement is somebody, I, I, I apologize, I, I don't know exactly who, because we don't look things up on the podcast, but somebody pointed out to me that I should be playing Orzhov Charm, and I'm like, well, I guess that's an obvious card to play, but is there a specific reason? He's like, yeah, you can rebuy your Festering Nudes. And I was just like, oh, You know what? You could also play the what's what's that card everyone always wants to play that puts all the one. You know, it's um, crap. It's like I think it's like black white X return or maybe it's more than that. But it's like return all. It's a it's Orzov 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 X, right? Or yeah 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 yeah. That's that's it. It's that card might be really sweet in that deck. Return return all your. Supply. You know what would be really convenient is when we have the configuration after Theros Rotation where we just have to take out cards like Tragic Slip and Restoration Angel and make our lives much easier. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, can't play Lingering Souls anymore? Great. <laughs> <laughs> now I can start playing these other cards I wanted to play. Awesome. Is Vampire Nighthawk the most criminally underplayed creature in the history of magic? It, it's, it, it's, it's such a... so good. It completely warps uh, what people's plan is, right? I mean, like, if you're playing, like, a Huntmaster of the Fells deck... It's just a three-mana Baneslayer Angel is what it is. You just can't beat that card. I mean, Geist of St. Traft needs help to beat that card. Yeah. I mean, how, how, how many cards is this the job description of? Like, oh, by the way, Geist of St. Traft can't really beat you. <laughs> like, oh, nice. Yeah. That's sweet. Yeah. Like, he he could, but you know he needs a lot of help. I'm like, oh, agree, <laughs> fine. If you have anything, he's probably gonna lose. I'm good. I like hearing that. That's, that's exactly what I like to hear. So the the Bog Brewich deck is uh, alive and well. We'll put the uh, 
the BDM version in the show notes. Uh, I, I actually had a ton of fun. Did you build a sideboard for it? Because I, I didn't have a sideboard yet. I did. I did. Um, although I, I can't look it up. That's against the rules. Yeah, no, that's fine. I'm just saying when you post that. Yep. Because the, the list I had was, was, was a little, did not have a sideboard. I, I want to say that I put Vampire Nighthawk in the sideboard and then couldn't cast it ever. Uh, and I might or I might or might not have taken it out after that. Oh my god! But by the way, so one of the best things for me in that deck was Fiend Slayer Paladin. Yeah, he's good. Fiend Slayer Paladin and Archangel of Thune is like just basically is is like a uh, it's like a Gideon Jura nightmare for your opponent. It's like a Gideon Jura that gets two two activations per turn, right? You can both attack and make them and make them attack Gideon every turn. Yeah, like, like it's like it's like a judge test. <laughs> oh yeah, the first time I realized that everyone was getting leveled after the Feed Slayer Paladin hit. Yeah, it's like it's like some judge test. Like okay, and you attack with two goats, uh, two Feed Slayer Paladins, and you've just played an Archangel of Thune. <laughs> Yeah, uh, yeah. That deck's just yeah. There's there's a lot of there's a lot of fun things happening in that deck. I've uh, I had a turn when I was playing your deck where like I had a trading post and five mana up, and then I just swung two Fate Slayer Paladins to their deaths. They're like, oh, why did you do that? It's stupid. I'm like, I, I guess it's stupid. Lose my Fate Slayer Paladins, kill one guy of yours, you know. And uh, he's like, all right. I'm like, um. Second main phase, Angelica Cord, make a <laughs> make an angel, <laughs> like go, and then I have like one mana open for the for the trading posts. He's like, oh, your Fiend Slayer Paladins. I'm like, I, I did in fact trade, you know, two Fiend Slayer Paladins for one of your guys and two four four flyers. Yes, that's exactly what happened. And he's like, and like ten life. <laughs> and he's like, yeah, that was a lot less stupid than it seemed a minute ago. <laughs> So let's see. Um, all right. So all those Magic the Gathering decks. You want you want to talk about Theros a little bit? Yeah, let's let's talk about some of these cards because I'm, I'm curious. So the, one of the one I guess the one card that people have talking about a lot is Monstrous, right? Well, let's start. Let's start in the white and let's go like white, blue, red, green, gold. Okay. Um, all right. So the white card that we know of is Cavalry Pegasus. So Cavalry Pegasus is. Uh, one and a white for a one-one flying. Whenever cavalry Pegasus attacks, each attacking human gains flying until end of turn, and it's common. I, I gotta tell you, that card seems pretty pretty okay to me for constructed magic. I, I mean, I can I can see decks where obviously it's not great, but I just, I, I can see decks where you would want to play that. I mean. I don't you disagree with you, but you want to launch your your uh, Avis- your uh, mayor of Ab- not mayor of Avison, but uh, the the chip parish. Yeah, I mean, like, what's the most overtly strong human strategy in standard? Um, Naya Blitz probably would be that deck, right? Yeah, I mean, do you see this deck being played? This card being played in Naya Blitz? No, I, I I don't see it getting played. I just I see it being a card that I I want to play. I I have no desire to play this card. Yeah, I can see situations where it would be good, and I just have no desire personally. Although I respect your your 
your uh, your respect for the card. Yeah, I mean, it it seems it seems like something you want to just think about in terms of like just, it's going to be a card that's going to. I guess a lot of the cards that it would be good with are going to rotate out with it when it comes in. And if it were a two one, would it be it's grossly overpowered? No, if it was, a, I think if it was a two one, it would be fantastic. Yeah, I mean, at two one, I'd be having a very different set of thoughts. But like to me, it's just like. It's going to sound stupid. Um, way worse than a Squadron Hawk, right? Substantially <laughs> worse than a Squadron Hawk. Yeah. You know how you can tell that? Because it's a magic card. <laughs> it's it, a white magic card. Because among white and one, two drops, it's not a Stone Fortress. <laughs> yeah. Just saying, I've seen a 1-1 one, one flyer for two before, and I know how good they have to be to see play. And you, sir, are no Squadron Hawk. Um, so there's a blue card. I don't know if it's on your list. It's called Bident of Thassa. It's a release promo card. Okay. Um, it's 2UU for a legendary enchantment artifact? Yeah. It's an enchantment and an artifact, apparently, and legendary, and it's 2UU. Whenever a creature you control deals combat damage to a player... You may draw a card. So it's Coastal Piracy. As an ability... Oh, this is why they made it an artifact. So that's its enchantment half, I guess, thematically. It says, like, one you tap creatures your opponents control, attack this turn if able. So it's, like, got a tap Siren's Call ability, and then it's also Coastal Piracy. Okay. What do you think? That sounds awesome. I love Coastal Piracy. Uh, This card must be, like... It looks like it's rare. This card must be, like, insane and limited. Oh, so is, is Miraculous Recovery not actually a card in this, and it's just a card in Heroes? It's in Monsters. Heroes and Monsters. Oh, I love here. I love Miraculous Recovery. Did you ever have Miraculous Recovery at Man of War during Mirage Block Constructed? Um, probably, but I don't have a specific memory of that event. I have, I have a lot of specific memories of that. So, I think Bident of, of, oh, it's a Bident. The picture is like a trident, but it only has two forks. Get oh, it? It's nice. a Bident. Nice. nice. Um, so, it's, uh, I think it will be interesting. Obviously, if you have, like, a lot of tokens, you, like, draw a lot of cards with it. And I think it might be good in a green deck. Like, if you're, like, green-blue... And you have, like, this thing that makes, like, I'm just going to say Thrag Tusk, but it's not a Thrag Tusk, right, anymore. That, or they make them Ophidians. Then also you can, like, make your opponent's idiot creatures run into your huge creatures and then devour them for dinner. Yeah. I think that's, and I think that it will see play because of that. My assessment is it will see play. So the next card is a red card called Ordeal of Perforos. Is that how you would say it? Uh, Ordeal of Perforos, yeah. So, it's an enchantment aura, so it goes on a guy. For R and 1, is it uncommon? Whenever enchanted creature attacks, put a plus 1, plus 1 counter on it. Then if it has 3 or more plus 1, plus 1 counters on it, sacrifice Ordeal of Porphyros. When you sacrifice Ordeal of Porphyros, it deals 3 damage to target creature or player. There's like a lot of text on this card. Right. So, if, if for example, 
Fabiola Porphyros was sacrificed for any reason. By the way, you would deal three damage to a creature or player. So if, like, you had this on an Ornitog, you had an Ornitog in play, yep. and sacrificed it, it would still get to deal three damage. It doesn't have to be sacrificing it through these, you know, uh, you know, a, comp- a number of attack steps. Oh, man, I mean, I'm not sure what card combination we would need, but I'm actually starting to smell infinite combo here in a larger format. Uh, so we need we need to be able to return this enchantment to play. So just in modern, you have Oratop. Because it was on the Time Spiral sheet. Um, okay. Uh, but I'm thinking, yeah, like, any way that you can get it to the graveyard, and then something that... Some sort of triggered thing that brings back enchantments. There's got to be a card that does this. I mean, there's already you could already do you know Oratog ranker stuff in modern, and that doesn't happen. Oh, that's fair enough. Um. Okay, so there's that, and then it's actually an interesting just card to play, right? Like. It's a as a creature enchantment, right? So it's a so it's a cheap it's a cheap enchantment. You you can easily see this getting played. You attack, you know, uh, put a plus one plus one counter on. Uh, you know, I mean, obviously we've seen all sorts of uh, we've seen all sorts of hexproof enchantment things going on in Magic for you know the last year or so. It might even be more than a year at this point, right? Um, yeah. I mean, both in modern and in standard. Uh, so, like, is, like, I, I wonder if the, the sort of natural timing of this card is such that, you know, that's just going to be the last three points of damage you deal, right? You know? Oh, that's something I didn't even think about from, from, from a timing standpoint. I was just thinking, what's the name of the R1 plus two plus two mountain walk? Uh, volcanic strength. Volcanic. Is that rotating? Yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. What I'm not sure if that's is. rotating. But the the that uh, that card's obviously like very specific. You can play that only against other red decks. But I, I I think this card is. I think it compares pretty favorably to Madcap skills in most decks. So like, I think I'd probably rather have Ordeal of Perforos than Madcap skills. Right. Uh, I'm not sure though. Like I I've, I've killed a lot of people with Madcap skills constructed. So. Um, I'm not sure about that, but it, it's just an interesting card, and I, I'm fairly sure this will see constructive play, and that it will see top eight play. Right. So, so one of the things that it doesn't do, so, you know, we talked about how no matter what, if you sacrifice it, it deals damage, but the only uh, you, you, you can't just, like, put this on a creature with three counters and sacrifice it to do damage. Right? It's only going to sacrifice on that attacking trigger. If that makes sense. Ah, uh, yes. But, it, but I guess... So, it doesn't matter, though, where those counters came from, but you still do need to attack to be able to do it. This it, is, it needs to happen during that attack step. This is a truth. For its natural sacrifice. Right, for its natural sacrifice. Um, okay, now... You wanted to talk about... Polucranos World Eater at the beginning. I will let yes. you do so now. Which is one of the cards that was uh, 
spoiled at the say well visually spoiled at the San Diego Comic Con panel, but they didn't have the text on it. So this is a this is like the big splashy card of the set, I think, right? And I mean, one of anyway. Right. Well, it comes in. It comes in with uh, you know, Juzam uh, Jin stats, right? I like to think of it as Advent of the Worm stats, but sure. Well, I mean, Juzam was like that first by five for four mana that everyone saw as being constructed playable, right? Jade Leech stats, sure. <laughs> uh, Speaking of which. Uh, Godenis sent a screen cap out last week of an opponent who cast Iwamori of the Open Fist against him in a modern queue. <laughs> Speaking of four four power green creatures that might have a disadvantage, uh, that have seemingly good stats, and he was holding Emrakul the Aeon's Torn. So, if you don't know what Iwamori of the Open Fist is, you should look it up and then lol. <laughs> that Godenis sent us the screen cap. Anyway, so Pulukranos World Eater it has. As Brian said, Juzan Jin stats continue. Uh, so it's got XXG colon monstrosity X. Monstrosity X. So, and then the, the reminder text there says, if this creature isn't monstrous, put X plus one plus one counter on it, and it becomes monstrous. So you can't monster up multiple times. Once it's gone monstrous, it's monstrous. Sure. So we get to, it says specifically, if it isn't monstrous, put plus one, plus one on it, right? So, like, let's say I just wanted to, like, put some plus one, plus one on Polychronos World Eater, and the next turn I have some spare mana. I can't just go do that again. I could put the mana in, but since he's already monstrosity, it's not going to double level him, right? But if, for example, I had the, um, the, the Simic Guild Mage that lets you remove counters to draw cards, you I could... could Go monstrous again. No, you remove the counters, but he's still monstrous, I think. He gains monstrous. It's like gaining indestructibility. Interesting. Okay. I think. This seems to me like indestructibility, where indestructibility in 2013 is a keyword, but they made it not a keyword for many years on purpose. Like, yeah. you know, it's just a trade of the card. I'm like, why don't you just make it a keyword? Like, no, we're never going to do that. Oh, sure. Sure you won't. But I think that being monstrous is a trade of the card now. Just like indestructibility, I think that he bec- you could go like zero G, and then he becomes monstrous with no counters, but he's now monstrous. I think that that's what would happen, and it becomes monstrous. Yeah, yeah, that makes total sense to me now. Now that you say it that way, that makes total sense, and it becomes monstrous. But wait, there's more because <laughs> because because a Jews of Jin with no your green cards cost extra G, or your opponent puts a free Evergold the Sworn into play because that wouldn't be good enough. <laughs> we gave it a self-pumping ability, but wait, there's more. So when Polycranus World Leader becomes monstrous, it deals X damage, divided as you choose, among any number of target creatures your opponent controls, each of those creatures deals damage equal to its power to Polychronus. So you could just splatter. So whatever. So pronouncing these cards is already going to be... a nightmare. <laughs> this, this seems really Kamigawa to me. Which is good and bad. It's good because I was awesome at all things Kamigawa from a deck design standpoint. I like that. Awesome at all things Kamigawa except pronouncing Kamigawa cards. Oh, I could say Umazawa's Jate. Randy Bueller had me like practice that one a lot because I would go in the booth and say like, it's Jate. But people would call it Jit. He had the Jit. <laughs> the Jit. The Jit. 
Why'd you die? I called the JIT. The JIT MCG. Anyway, um, so this card is just sweet. Like he, what if your opponent just has like I don't know one dragon? <laughs> one dragon. Rah! world eater. Rah! Eat your world dragon. If he's got like a bunch of tokens, you can just devour a bunch of tokens, right? Yeah. It's uh, this card's exciting and big. Well, so so at five mana. You mean six? Well, oh, no, five, five. So, so it's plus two, plus two, plus one, right? So, so five mana. You're saying? I apologize. At, at five mana, you would deal. Uh, well, no. So, at five mana, you would only deal two damage, divided as you choose among any number of target creatures. No. Oh wait, yes. Sorry. It's oh, it's X damage. I thought it was yeah, he just not, fights. Fight. Oh, okay. It's not fight. I was just thinking, like, your opponent is a Loxanon Hierarch or something, and then you play this with five mana, and you're like, all right, four mana for Polychronos, one fight. Yeah, that's not what happens. You're right. Wait, so... Oh, it's only when he becomes monstrous, so it's a triggered ability. This is going to be confusing for people to play the first couple times they play it. It's certainly confusing for us the first couple times we've tried talking about it. Yeah, so you basically get one shot at this, is the important thing. Right. Um, I, I know for, for certain I played with Voice of Resurgence the first weekend it was legal, and I had blue-black control players, Esper control players, do stuff like Devour Flesh Meter in combat, which is just a disaster. <laughs> like, alright, I make a token and sack it. Thanks for the life. And they're like, oh, God. <laughs> Take that. <laughs> right, again, again, a card that is definitely reads like a judge test, or <laughs> perhaps like, you know, uh, the, the you know, you're, you know, one of those things that, you know, million second quiz, you've got 10 seconds to figure this out. Oh, you're done. I mean, can we just agree that Polycranos World Eater is probably going to be a high impact card in standard? Yeah, it, seem, it, seem, it seems like it will be. And it gets plus one, plus one counters, right? Huh. It does. And by, by the way, you can also, you can also do this, you know, things like, so, I, you know, it has one chance to become monstrous, you know, we talked about that, right? So so you're only going to get to do this once, this fight ability. But, uh, you know, what if you, for example, had, uh, I don't know, some way to reset this creature? Like a restoration agent for one. Like a restoration. If, I mean, that that particular card won't, won't be the case in standard, but unless they just put it in one of the sets, which I don't think they will. Uh, but the... Uh, the sentiment is certainly there. I, I just think because it gets plus one, plus one counters, it just has such a powerful natural synergy with Colonian Hydra. It's it's probably going to be very good. Right. So uh, I'm going to guess. I'm going to guess at how you pronounce the next card. I'll, I'll take the I'll take the pronunciation bullet here. Uh, Annex and Kometi. No, Seder Hedonist first. What? Okay. So, Seder... Uh, where'd that card go? Seder Hedonist. Oh, just saying Mama Green. Yeah. This card seems really good to have. It's a good card. I think it's, like, uh, very similar to Burning Tree Emissary. Where it's, like, better than it looks, and potentially explosive, even though really? it doesn't actually... Burning Tree Emissary looked insane to me. Oh. <laughs> it turns out it was insane. Yeah. <laughs> 
I think this card is like... Yeah, this card doesn't look as insane to me. I mean, it looks... Pretty, pretty good. I mean, but it does say Sacrifice Seder here to this, so... It also says add RRR to your mana pool. Yeah. I mean, like, it doesn't net, right? How many freaking cards does John Finkel play that don't net? Right, like he yeah. plays a ton of cards that don't net, and they just net storm. But this one, you put a down payment on it. Right, you 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 need to do this the, the next turn. Yeah, but you could also attack and then get two in, which might be relevant, and then sacrifice it and start going. Well, so you'll have bloodthirst. <laughs> I will have bloodthirst. That is true. Uh, I think that this will see play. Uh, certainly going to be you know have pulper in. Uh, how about this? I have Seder Hedonist. I have it on turn two. Then on turn three, I attack you for two. Sacrifice it and cast a dragon. Yeah. No, it, That's pretty it, good, right? Yeah, the card, the card is obviously fine. I think they could have put a better picture. He look, looks too peaceful to me. I mean, you know, he's... He's relaxed. <laughs> what is that, a pipe next to him? <laughs> He might be a reason he's relaxed. <laughs> oh, I, was, I wasn't thinking about that. Uh, being like, relaxed. Like, yeah, sure. give me some red mana. <laughs> I got RRR to produce. You know what I mean. Rest and relaxation. <laughs> some other R. All right. Annex and you think Cemetti? Cemetti. Cemetti? USA Network series. <laughs> Annex and Cemetti. I want to say Siamede. I bet that they like made it like, like Ganymede, right? Like Siamede. Siamede, sure. I think it's Annex well, and Siamede. No matter how you say it, it's going to sound like a USA Network series to me. Um, I Speaking of USA Network series, I, I burned through seasons one and two of Suits in the last two weeks. I watched uh, season three, episode one when I got home. Did they make you night. watch it because of the Game of Suits ad? It was the Game of Suits ad? Yeah. Have you watched Suits? Yeah, I, lo- I, I really love I really love Suits. I think it's really good. I mean, like, USA Network, I think both White Collar and Psych are well below their primes at this point, but their primes were pretty good, in my opinion. I mean, their primes were any point where there weren't as many good TV shows on as there are now. There are a lot of good TV shows on now, no question. It's like, you know, it's pretty difficult to, 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 to you know, let me say, I'm gonna really make time to watch this show. Yeah, it, it's just it's just really difficult to watch all the good shows. What's that? You can't watch all the good shows. There's too many yeah. good shows. And uh, Suits is one of those shows that's on the bubble for me. Oh, really? Yeah. I mean, I just binge watch it. Like, I think that we have this superpower of binge watching now. Like. When I moved, for example, I lost the ability to watch Bates Motel because I lost my tape Bates Motels and I wasn't caught up. But I just switched my cable companies because stupid Time Warner cable made it so that all of their clients would would stop being Time Warner <laughs> Time Warner cable subscribers. Did you used to have Time Warner cable? Do you still have it? No, I've never had Time Warner cable. I'm uh, I have uh, cable vision. Yep. Which is one of those that's not great. But it's 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 it seems to me that they're you know doing more and more things. Uh, you know they they seem to get a little better. I mean, you can clearly see that why anyone would have just quit Time Warner Cable in the last few weeks, right? Just like 
I actually pay for Showtime, but you're just going to take it away. And also not watch CBS, which is the network that I watch the most. Like, they really think they weren't going to lose a lot of customers over that. So they lost us. And so we have um, Verizon now. Verizon has an insane on-demand menu. Like, I'm freaking spoiled. I like every episode of of Bates Motel, which has been off the air for, like, three months. I, 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 uh, Bates Motel was, I really like it. Surprisingly excellent, I think, is what I would, I would say. Yeah. So anyway, Annex and Samedi. Kymede. Symede. <laughs> USA. Suits. Uh, one RW, or First Strike Vigilance, Human Soldier, uh, 3-2. So it's a three-two first strike vigilance. Pretty, I mean, pretty reasonable numbers. I mean, we were we were just talking about how uh, we we were just talking about how the uh, Fiend Slayer Paladin has been really construct. I, I, I think a constructed playable card. Fiend Slayer Paladin. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it was like obviously a constructed playable. I think it's an excellent yeah. card. It's really good. So, so, so just just on this, so three-two first strike vigilance. Uh, you know, for, for, you know, constructive play. So, um, I, I think it would be on the bubble uh, in terms of playability at three, two, first strike vigilance, uh, just because of it, it's legendary. Sure. So, legendary. so, so that that drops some value, but it's actually got another ability, and that's heroic. So it has heroic, and heroic, uh, its heroic ability is. Whenever you cast a spell that targets uh, Annex and Samid, uh, creatures you control get plus one, plus one. So you garble a little bit, and they get plus one, plus one, and gain trample until end of turn. Right. Uh, so one of the creatures that you control is, it, in fact, itself, Annex and whatever the hell, uh, which already has First Strike and Vigilance. Right. And it's offensively incredibly powerful. Yeah. Like, oh, I'm going to put Ordeal of Perforos on this. Man, are you boned. <laughs> You're just stone-boned if I do that, right? Right. Uh, so I, I think this is a powerful card to play in what we can currently consider, let's say, like a, a Naya Blitz deck. Like, Nyablitz is going to have some space now with uh, the, the Innistrad block rotations, and still more than enough robust opportunity because of, you know, Boros Elite, Burning Tree Emissary, etc., is going to keep that strategy alive. And you add a card like this at the top end, could, could be some really awesome stuff going on, because it's not like you lost Fire Fist Striker, right? You still got Fire Fist Striker, still got Experiment 1. Now your guys are just really not going to lose in combat. Yeah, this this seems niatastic. This card, I, I like it. Although I don't understand, like by looking at the picture, these are like dangerous warriors, especially the woman. They look like they're philosophers. They they look Machiavellian. All right, I mean, I don't look at that woman and say to myself, you know, what she's got first strike. All right, last one uh, among the Theros cards, Destructive Revelry uh, at GR. The picture's got, like, 
some satyrs, I guess, reveling destructively. Destroy target artifact or enchantment. Destructive Arbor deals two damage to that permanence controller. It's an instant, insanely good card, right? Just, it's going to see play in modern, probably. As well as standard. You agree? Yeah. Yes. I mean, this is exactly the kind of card I always like to play. Like, I love Counter Squall as one of my favorite cards ever. Just Yeah, I mean, it's just, I, I, I can't imagine this card not seeing play. It's, it's just like Naturalized Plus. Like, it's right. super, super compelling card, I think. I mean, the, the card that... Uh, I mean, I, mean, I, I you, you think about... Uh, uh, what What's... Uh, yeah, yeah, no, no, no. Absolutely, absolutely just going to be a uh, playable card. You know, you think about, what was the card Don Lim used to love? Hull Breach. Hull Breach or Orm's Chant. Orm's Thunder. Orm's Thunder, yeah, that's the card. That's the card. That's the oh, card. this is just Orm's Thunder. Yeah. For two. Yeah. Oh, man. It was Eric Kesselman who loved Orm's Thunder, by the way. Don Lim, I convinced to play Seal of Lansing. Okay. Goes faster. And then he and Toby both made top eight of the appropriate grudge match. I did not. I lost to Osip and the Swiss. Didn't I finished out of the money. They did not I was not smart enough to be like, hey Toby and Don, let's do a money split. Considering the fact that I made our deck. I did not think that far ahead. Um and so they both made top eight. And then they lost to what was the name of that guy from Queens? Uh I played him at States this year actually. Kevin James? No, he's like Asian. He just like always plays white weenie. Oh. Uh, it's from the same store as Young Son, I think. Sure, 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 sure. You know who I'm talking about, right? I know absolutely who you're talking about. He won with a different red white creature deck with Sarah Angel, as I recall. Right. Um, you know, speaking of memory of uh, 13 year old matches. <laughs> I actually played him in States this year. <laughs> and it was like the first time I ever beaten him because I like got him to concede to me. He always beats me. <laughs> All the time. Uh, okay, so that was Theros, black-white decks, monocolored decks. Uh, and we've been on for an hour and a half. Do you want to talk about the other stuff? We want to table it. What do you want to do? Let's table it. Okay, so we're going to table it. Sorry to Marshall and anyone else who was who's wondering about these things, um, just because we've had a super long cast already. Although I can tell you as a preview, dear listeners, that when Theros actually comes out and all the cards are spoiled, and we'll, we'll probably in each podcast talk about the ones that have just come out. We're going to do like a full, maybe five episode set of, uh, of a set review for manandeprived.com up in Canada. And uh, you can look forward to that. 